Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Live in Conversation. Today is the season three finale. Now, if you're new here, I'll give you guys the lowdown of how seasons work. Um, It's not a typical season, if you will. Um, So here's how it works. So basically, each season is 20 episodes long. And then after that, the new season starts on the next weekday. So today is Friday, obviously, and I only do the podcast on weekdays. So for instance, season three finale, obviously today, Friday, but the premiere of season four will be happening on Monday because I don't do the podcast on weekends. I just do it Monday through Friday. Um, so yeah, but anyways, um, on today's episode, we're going to be talking about, uh, more into the Jill Stein, thing and, you know, how I stand on that. Um, I know last episode you guys, um, witnessed me, you know, being shocked and stunned that I pretty much predicted Jill Stein's bid for president just a few hours before it was announced to the public. Um, I was shocked by that. I was like, what the hell? Like, um, (laughs) that's shocking. I was, I was very, very shocked, to say the least, um, so yeah, but anyways, I today want to just go over, you know, where I stand, and, and the difficulty with, you know, determining who I want to support from this point on now is the fact that, you know, Cornell and Jill have very, very similar, um, beliefs and very, very similar stances, which makes it very difficult to choose a candidate because, you know, I have forever supported Jill Stein. I think Jill Stein is an absolute genius of a candidate. Um, and she's a really great speaker. She has really great stances and good policies, which I, I actually really like about uh, Jill Stein. But the only other issue is that Cornell is also pretty good. You know, um, I mean, I like, I like Cornell. I was actually kind of hoping he would stay with the Green Party and win their nomination for 2024, because I was like, oh yeah, that'd be fantastic. You know, I already, I liked the candidate. I, I, you know, I liked the candidate and I liked the party, you know, it would be a great combination. You know, the only other person that I ever saw possibly even slightly edging out Cornell for me personally, within the Green Party at least, was Jill Stein. And now that that has actually happened, I'm like kind of shocked by this because I mean, she, she was kind of hinting at it, I believe, um, but I, I never really, like, believed the hints. I always thought, you know, she was going to hint at it, it was never going to happen, and then she would just endorse whoever else was going to end up running. Um, but nope, Jill Stein is back, and it is very, very exciting. I'm incredibly excited about it. Um, so, yeah, but um, I'm, I'm, still, I'm still caught between Cornell West and Jill Stein, um, but I am at the moment leaning a bit more towards Jill Stein, namely because, you know, independents really don't have such a great chance at winning. Um, the only instance and currently happening in a way that an independent has a kind of a chance at winning is, you know, RFK, which is shocking to me because, you know, I mean, I, everyone knows I don't like RFK. I, I didn't even like him back when he was running as a Democrat, and I still don't like him now running as an independent. You know, nothing has changed since the very beginning. I don't really like RFK. And, you know, at first, I was like, oh, a Kennedy's running. Let me check it out. You know, I got a little bit excited in a way. 
And then I was like, yeah, no, this, this is not for me. This is not what I believe in. This is not anything I will endorse or support or even condone, you know, cause we can get a lot better and we can get a lot more done with someone else. You know, at the time I was, you know, very, very Marianne Williamson and, you know, I still would love to see Marianne win the DNC primary, but in this instance, we know that DNC primaries have been rigged in the past and that, you know, the DNC really likes Joe Biden, um, which is very unfortunate because, you know, no one in this country that is a citizen with specifically working class citizen likes Joe Biden. <laughs> I don't like Joe Biden and I'm a Democrat, you know, and that that I mean, a lot of people are going to be like, oh, well, that's most Democrats. now. they don't really like Joe Biden that much. But that's because Joe Biden is far right, in my opinion. You know, he's further right than what the Democratic Party should even be allowing in the first place. You know, I I would honestly compare him in terms of political ideology standpoints to George W. Bush, you know, and I feel I, I think a couple other people have publicly made that comparison and it's lined up pretty well. Um, which is honestly disappointing for the party that I call my party because, you know, it, it shows a huge disconnect between not only the voters and the party, but also half of the party and the other half of the party. You know, I would love to eventually see, you know, the true progressives within the Democratic Party, um, the squad, if you will, and I guess a couple of the others maybe that are that are actually true progressive and true, you know, left wing within the Democratic Party. I would love to see them just leave the Democratic Party, join the Green Party, and kind of bump up the Green Party's notability. I would love, love, love to see that happen. Because with the Green Party, what what I what I find disgusting is the fact that a lot of these uh you know progressive candidates or well politicians more specifically progressive politicians that are in the Democratic Party get silenced by their own party. Meanwhile, there is a party that is somewhat more prominent than, you know, a tiny little party, but they're not a massive party either, is available. And realistically, with the with the humongous momentum of the squad and all of its members and the support levels of the squad and its members, realistically, they don't need the Democratic Party endorsement anymore. You know, they easily could switch over to the Green Party and feel minimal, if any at all, impact within their approval ratings or polling numbers. You know, they would really not see such a monumental difference. And I actually had a conversation with uh, someone running for state Senate, uh, Elijah Mack. He is running against, I have the name here somewhere. Hold on. He is running against incumbent Democrat Monique Lemon. I believe that's how you pronounce that last name. And I, I'm not necessarily brushed up on all the state senators necessarily. Um, specifically, you know, Monique. I didn't even know of Monique until Elijah Mack had told me that that's who he's running against, um, who is an incumbent. So it's like, oh, that's great. You know, I don't really know who this person is, but, you know, I have to go check him out, I guess, you know. I believe Monique is her, but you never know. Um, you know, hold on, let's, let's, let's fact check this because I mean, sometimes I have, I have seen some people have like gender neutral names. Hold on. Let's see. Okay. 
Monique is a she. Okay. Correct. I was correct. Okay, I didn't want to, like, assume anything, but... Yeah, okay. So, Monique is the incumbent, and Elijah Mack is running as, um, currently no party preference. Um, but, you know, the California GOP is, is pulling their crap. Um, and I don't know, I'm, I'm gonna try to spare any, like, crucial details, because there were details that were available to the public, and details that I was shared in private. Um, I'm not gonna mention what was shared in private, I'm only gonna mention what was shared in public, so I'm gonna pull up what was shared in the public. So, here we go. Alright. So, basically, he basically says that, you know, most of the GOP he's met in SB are very moderate or legitimately libertarian. Now, Elijah was initially running as a libertarian. I endorsed him when he was running as a libertarian, and I continued that endorsement when he switched to no party preference, aka independent. Um, so, yeah. So basically, he says, it's the party of whoever doesn't want to vote Democrat in this state. The only reason I would even begin to consider this, other than the fact that the alternative is losing. And then I said, honestly, I feel like with the proper communication with voters, you could win easily as an independent or a no party preference candidate. Um, and I, I do still kind of stand strong on this belief, specifically for Elijah Mack. Um, you know, there's nearly a million people in his district, yes, but... There is, his policies truthfully speak to many, many voters, you know? Um, and I've met some libertarians who, you know, are a bit extremists in a way with their, with their um, agendas and their agendas would legitimately cause economic disarray just from reorganizing the economy into a system where, you know, corporations can take even more advantage, um, which makes things way more difficult for working class citizens you know, way more difficult than it already is. And it's all already incredibly difficult and becoming increasingly so, which is, is why necessarily I don't support as many libertarians, you know? I do agree with some stances of libertarians where it's like, okay, the government shouldn't be able to tell you that you can't get an abortion. The government shouldn't be able to tell you that you can't smoke weed. The, um, the government shouldn't be able to tell you that you can't be gay, that you can't be married as a gay person. The government should not be able to tell you that you can't identify as non-binary, you know, that you can't get a transgender operation. The government should not be able to tell you what you can and can't do with your body and what you can and can't do within legal matters, of course, within legal, legal limitations, of course. You know, if, it, if, if you're doing something that's legal or something that really shouldn't be illegal and should be legal, then, you know, I personally think, you know, you're fine. You know, like, I'm glad that California is one of the states that first championed legalizing marijuana for recreational use because, you know, I, I personally think in all the states where it's, it's illegal, it's so stupid. It's the dumbest thing ever. <laughs> it's like, why, why is this such an issue? It's a plant. It grows. It's not, it's not heroin. It's not fentanyl. And if we make it recreationally available, we can use the tax money collected from that, the sales tax from that, to fund programs including programs for those who may become addicted to marijuana, which is possible. I mean, I've only met like a, a one or two people who ever have been addicted necessarily to marijuana. The rest of them that I know that have done it before aren't necessarily even addicted. They just do it every once in a while, you know, and it's not even so close in between. It's, you know, like rarely, 
and they don't become addicted. You know, it's only certain people that do become addicted. Um, so it's like, you know, there definitely is a need to fund programs for rehabilitation. You know, if you do happen to fall victim to an addiction and by making this recreationally available, we can use the tax money from that to directly fund state provided rehabilitation programs, you know, and it would be a lot more simpler and a lot more easier. And also with any excess tax money, you know, that goes directly back into the budget, or we can even turn it into some sort of like a, like a tax return so that people can earn money back that we don't end up using. And I I think that's kind of genius. You know, we shouldn't have to increase our budget all the time, but we also shouldn't be taking massive chunks out of it blindly. You know, if we're going to be taking chunks out of it, and, and my plan is, and this is where a lot of people get me confused because I always say, oh yeah, we need to get tax cuts. We need to lower tax. When I say tax cuts, a lot of people think of the Republican style of tax cuts, which is give the rich the tax cuts, and then supposedly somehow, some way, the working class will benefit from that because of trickle-down. I don't believe in trickle-down economics. I think trickle-down economics is a scam, it's a fraud, and it's a flat-out lie. Just to get the top 1% even richer. Um, which is so stupid. I do not support trickle-down. I never have and I never will. It makes no sense and it's pointless. Um, but anyways, with, like... It's it's just so confusing because, of course, you know, California has a super majority of Democrat voters. But if we start showing people that, you know, there are other options that better represent what you want, you know, moderate Democrats feed right into the trickle down economics that the Republicans do as well. That's why I, I always constantly compare um, moderate Democrats to conservatives is because of the fact that they share the same ideals for the most part, you know, they both share their support of trickle down economics. They both share their support of, you know, censoring freedom of speech. They both support, you know, tearing our constitution to shreds and only using it when it supports them, but then ignoring it when it goes directly against what they're doing. You know, they they take so many things and bend and manipulate them just to end up harming the working class citizens of this country. You know, that's why I personally think, you know, with, with the progressive side of the Democratic Party, it's far better, don't get me wrong, it is far better than the moderate side, which is pretty much just centrists and Republicans who don't want to call themselves Republicans because they're scared that they'll be labeled as a far right extremist, even though they're probably just a neocon. Um, neoconservative, if you, if you don't know what neocon means, it's neoconservative, which is kind of like George W. Bush territory, where it's not necessarily extremist like MAGA, um, but it's still technically within the Republican Party wing, if you will. Um, so yeah, but um, it, it, it's, it's hard because, you know, our party has basically become like divided. And a lot of people talk about how the GOP is divided. And it is divided there too, but our divide is, is drastic, in my opinion. You know, you have moderate Dems who consistently agree with neoconservative beliefs and, you know, to some extent, some neoliberal beliefs. And I don't believe in neoconservatism or neoliberalism either. You know, I believe, personally, I believe in social, uh, social democracy, 
you know, socialist democracy. Democratic socialism, that's the term. Democratic socialism, more left-wing. And a lot of people get scared when I say the word socialism, you know. And here's the thing, you know, a lot of people mix up when I say socialism. I don't mean, you know, you're not going to be able to vote. A lot of people compare socialism to Russia, where the democracy isn't even really real, you know what I mean? Um, You know, and, you know, I just don't think that, uh, that's not what I want, (laughs) you know, that's definitely not what I want. What I want is a system that economically functions to a socialist system, but in terms of freedoms and voting rights functions as a true democracy, where there is you know, popular vote only, eliminating the electoral college as a whole, because in my opinion, I think the electoral uh, electoral college is pointless. The electoral college is the reason why we got Trump in 2016. You know, Hillary, and, and I don't like Hillary. Everyone should know this by now. I do not like Hillary. But it's better than Trump by, by like a slight edge, you know, by a slight edge better than Trump, you know. Um, and, and here's the thing. I personally think that, you know, with 2016, the Electoral College screwed us over because the Hillary won the popular vote by a, quite a good amount. But we still ended up getting Trump because the Electoral College said so, which is, which is stupid. It's pointless. It makes no sense. You know, the Electoral College does nothing but suppress our right to free and fair elections and our right to a democracy. That's the only thing. It's the only thing that it does is suppress the American people's voice. For every one American, there should be one vote. There shouldn't be, you know, for however many million, whoever whoever slightly edges out the other in one state wins that state's amount of votes, and then that goes through a system, and then, you know, you get to 270 and you win. That, that's, that's pointless. It's stupid and it's dumb. It would be much easier to just tally up votes through a popular vote system. Popular vote would make much more sense. We already count the popular vote. When you look at the electoral vote, and then right under it, you see like a million number in the millions, that's the popular vote for that candidate. We already count the popular vote, so why do we not use it? It's because we we decide to trust the electoral college with everything, when in reality, we should not be trusting the electoral college with anything at all. We should be eliminating the Electoral College because it directly suppresses the voice of the American people and directly suppresses their right to a free, fair election and their right to vote in a democracy. America is a democracy. No matter what anybody on the right might want to tell you, America is a democracy. We vote every couple of years. You know, we have midterms. We have presidential elections. We have local elections. We have these elections for a reason. It's time that we stop suppressing the American people's votes. And the reason why the Republican Party doesn't want to support popular votes system is because that's how they would have lost in 2016. If we had popular vote system in before 2016, Hillary Clinton would have been the 45th president of the United States, not Donald Trump. And Biden would not have been president at all because he would not have run in 2020 because Hillary would have run for re-election. Think about it. 
I mean, honestly, I would rather have Hillary right now than Biden. They're both awful choices. But I mean, come on. At least Hillary is a little bit younger, you know? I'm not saying that she's a good choice. I I still think she is an awful choice, especially what she said about being against a ceasefire, which is completely brain dead and stupid decision to make. There needs to be a ceasefire immediately. I absolutely disagree with Hillary Clinton on a ton of things. But realistically speaking, I mean, the popular vote system should have been in effect. In my opinion, we should have never even had an electoral college, you know, because what's what's the purpose that it serves? The only thing that it does is suppress people's voices. That's all it does, you know, because in reality, your vote doesn't really matter at the end of the day in elections counted by the electoral college. It doesn't matter. We should be in a system where every single vote matters because then we can get more people out to go vote. We should be making Election Day a federal holiday. We should be passing that. We should be making Election Day a holiday, federal holiday, so that people can go, be off work to go and vote. A large issue with people not being able to go vote who want to go vote is that they are at work all day trying to make a living in this destroyed um, economy. You know, and it's, it's increasingly difficult. We should be making Election Day a federal holiday, but I also think, you know, it should be a paid holiday. We should be mandating that workplaces pay people on Election Day. You should not have to miss out on your paycheck because you had to go vote. You should not have to go to work and sacrifice your right to vote just so that you can barely survive in the economy that you could be changing by voting. It is a screwed up system that we are in currently. Think about it. You work at a job. It's, it's a very intensive job, long hours, and you have to work on election day. You don't make that great of money, but you know, you can just get by. And let's just say you work for a pretty big company, right? And they, they profit off of the economy that screws you over. Let's just say that, for example. I'm pretty sure that example can apply for millions of Americans all across the country. So let's just use that as an example. So let's just say you're working on election day. you got to work long hours. But a good way to change that economy that's failing you is by voting for people who support fixing our economy for the working class to be able to survive in. But think about it. The corporations don't want you to be able to get off on election day. They don't want it because think about it. That means more people can go out to vote. More working class citizens get get to go out to vote. And then they can vote either someone who the corporation directly opposes. Or they can vote out an incumbent politician who the company supports. Think about it. It's all within a giant corporation's interest. And it makes sense. A lot of things in this, in this government is based off of the interest of corporations and billionaires. It's not based off of what we need desperately. We desperately need access to free health care, free universal health care. We need access to you know, free university and free higher education. We need access 
to basic necessities that should not cost thousands of dollars a month just to be able to afford. Because that's not, that's not, uh, it is capitalism. It's not just capitalism. It's toxic. It's poisonous. And it's dangerous and reckless. Capitalism is going to fail everyone, especially when it's combined with a trickle-down economic system such as Bidenomics or what, what, whatever Trump's uh, plan is called, Maganomics or something like that. I don't, think, I, don't, I don't think his is actually called Maganomics. I think that's like the, the Democrats' you know, nickname for it. But whatever Trump's economic plans are, it's the same thing. They're both trickle-down economics. They're both trickle-down economic systems. And when you combine trickle-down economics, which never works no matter where you put it, with a capitalist system that already harms the working class of this country, and you combine those two things together, it's a recipe for a a humongous disaster. Not just for a a regular-sized disaster, for like an extra-large disaster. That is the problem that we face. That's the problem that we are facing. We're seeing the direct results of a poisonous capitalist system merged with a poisonous trickle-down economics pl- uh, program system, whatever you want to call it. A plan. That's, that's what the word is, not program, plan. We're combining poisonous capitalist you know, system with a plan for a poisonous trickle-down economic system, aka Bidenomics, and we're seeing the direct result of it. I went to the store the other day to buy like grapes and it was like $7 for a, for like a pound of grapes. I'm I'm like what? Like um this is not right. This is not normal. This is not this is insane. This is insanity. And this is the direct result of that combination of trickle-down economics and poisonous capitalism. That that is the direct result and we are now seeing for ourselves, how badly this is. And it was happening under Trump as well. Now, granted, you mean Trump is a millionaire, billionaire, whatever he wants to call himself. I don't even know. I mean, he was probably lying about half the stuff anyways. But point is, we elected someone with no previous political experience who had a ton of money in the bank and was probably paying off corporations to keep the prices low. So realistically, the corporations were still making a ton of money, especially with his tax cuts, making even more money on top of that. That's how they were able to keep the prices low. Because while, yes, there was still a poisonous capitalism system mixed with a trickle-down economic system, there was an addition of tax cuts to the top. And on top of that, most likely paying corporations, subsidizing corporations, whether it be by legal means or by shady covered up means, you know, it's, it's still a recipe for disaster. The only reason why it might not have been felt as much under Trump was mainly because of the tax cuts and probably because of some sort of subsidization some somewhere. Think about it. It makes sense. Trump even said, I forget a lot a while ago now, that he said he actually lost money when he was working in the White House as president. Why is that the case? How do you lose a big chunk of money when you're president of the country? I, I mean, it just it just speaks for itself, in my opinion. I think it just speaks for itself.
I, I'm just like blown away by it. But um, yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, believe that's all that we have in store for today's season finale of season three of Live in Conversation. Tune in on Monday for season four premiere. Um, and also the only thing that changes is, well, the only reason I keep it combi- like into seasons of 20 episodes is just for organization purposes. Um, but also, you know, um, probably also, you know, well, not probably, but definitely every single season, the cover art work for the podcast changes. I always try to keep it minimalistic and simple, but I change the colors around quite a bit. So, um, yeah, like I think season one, I think was like blue, um, season two was like a greenish and then season three is red. Not sure what color I'm going to do yet for uh, season four, but we'll see what I end up making. Um, so yeah, with that being said, it's a wrap on season three. I'll see y'all on Monday for season four. Thank you all so much for listening and I'll see you guys next time. Bye.